If you have a Bible near you, if you brought one, uh, turn to Galatians, and we'll be looking at Galatians chapter 5, and, and, and this is a great passage uh, that really speaks to, really, well, how is this all supposed to work? How are we supposed to live out this, this life that God has called us to live? And sometimes we think about life, and particularly if you've been around church at all, and you hear about the things we, we ought to be experiencing, you're not quite experiencing it, or you're trying to, you hear people talk about the victory they have in Jesus, and you say, I, I'm not experiencing victory, I, I feel like I'm being defeated all the time. Well, how are we supposed to turn that around? I've entitled the message, Is This Any Way to Live? And, and we might think, well, that's really for people who don't know Jesus, or don't go to church, or, or don't have a clue, but, but often it's for us as well. Is this any way to live? Is it really working? Um, and, and as we think about not only our own lives, but we think even within a group or community at large, and obviously it, it doesn't take a whole lot of, of um, dreaming about the, the, the world we live in when we think just what happened this last Thursday in San Clarita at Saugus High School. At 7.38 in the morning, uh, the first uh, report came back that a, a 16-year-old on his birthday, Nathaniel Barhow, I'm not sure exactly how you say his last name, uh, he took a, in his backpack a gun to school, pulled it out, and, and shot a 16-year-old or 15-year-old girl and a 14-year-old and, and killed them and wounded three others. And after he had done that, then he took the gun to his head and shot himself. A, a day later, this young man uh, died. And, and as you've seen the reports on TV or radio or read the reports in the Times or whatever, Orange County Register, all, all kinds of things came out about that. And, and one of the things that I was always asked when these kind of things happen at school or in the community is, is I'm wondering, why did this happen? And I was uh, reading uh, the Sheriff Alex Villanova uh, he had already interviewed 40 people and was, had a whole lot, list of other people he was trying to kind of discern some things. And here was his quote, We are chasing all the leads available. At this stage, we don't know the motive. And sometimes with someone, whether it's a young person or adult, does some things, there's some immediate conclusions that are at least drawn by those who want to comment on what happened and why it happened. But as they looked at this, it was, it was really... It was really challenging, some of the things that were written um, about him. Friends and neighbors of the shooter said they were stunned and that the teenager had not shown signs of aggression. Now, we all know people that, that don't show signs of aggression. Okay? If you haven't seen people who show signs of aggression, you need to get out of the house, all right? Because there are people you're saying, that this, this, is some, this is a bomb ready to explode. But they looked at Nate and Nathaniel, and that's not what they saw. He ran cross-country, helped young members in his Boy Scout trip, troop. And so here's a Boy Scouter. Uh, they went on and said, uh, 11, 11th grader uh, Aiden Soto said this, uh, he, he would have fun with the team and was a good kid. The younger scouts looked up to him. He was there when they needed him with, with anything. I'm bewildered and looking for answers. Brooke Risley said this, a 16-year-old junior at Saugus High uh, we have no, I had, we had known him since elementary school. And the last year, the two were involved in a group that worked on a project for their engineering class and became close friends. He was very smart. In, in particular in history, he was taking AP history and European history, and, and people just could not figure it out. What happened? And as we think about why people do what they do, and if we look at our own selves, why do we do what we do, or why do we have certain traits about ourselves, 
psychologists will say, well, it's, it usually comes from two different directions, uh, maybe three. One is, how were you nurtured? How were you parented when you were growing up? Uh, the other part they'll look at is, uh, what was your basic nature? Maybe you got a certain test on the Enneagram or whatever it might be, and this is how you are in terms of how you're wired. Then others will look at it from a circumstantial perspective. What was it around you that maybe became, that caused you to be, be victimized? And those who um, have been victimized by others now make other people victims because of how they, leash, uh, how they express it to others. And all those things are true uh, to a certain degree. But it was always usually left out in those kind of articles is some things that Jesus spoke to very clearly. What is it that causes us, and we need to include ourselves in that situation, because the Bible would say even those who have crossed the line and and put their faith in Jesus Christ is that we can so easily manifest all the deeds of the flesh. We can so easily commit any type of sin uh, that we could imagine. And all you have to do is read the Sermon on the Mount and realize that that sin begins in, in the heart and in the mind. And all it is is looking for an opportunity where we might relinquish control from, from God in our life and, and we'll express that in so many destructive ways. Now, I was re-looking at a passage I wasn't going to look at, but just to read it to you. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus told a parable. And, and a parable is a story. Normally when people preach or speak and, and they'll give their points or give their content or, and their detail and say, well, I'm just waiting for that story that just grabs me. And Jesus told stories for a variety of reasons, but sometimes he tells a story, and after he told the story, they go, I don't get it. What are you, what are you trying to say? So in Mark chapter 7, Jesus said this in response to uh, what his disciples and people around him were trying to do to figure out their world. And, and that's what's happening in relationship to Saugus High School. Uh, but it's not just happening on campuses. In, in Chicago a couple of years ago, there were, I think, 682 homicides committed in that particular community. People were killing people in just one particular city. Well, how do you explain that? In Mark 7, in verse 14, we have Jesus saying this. After he called the crowd to them, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him. If it goes into him, the things which proceed outside of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears, to let him hear and when he left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples questioned about the parable. Now, I read it pretty quickly, but I'll read his answer a little bit slower, slowly. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding? Do you not understand that whatever comes into the man from outside cannot defile him? And he was particularly talking about food, but you could broaden that definition as well. Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and it is eliminated. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is that which defiles the man. And so again, the context here, well, what is it that causes people to do things that are just mind-boggling? For from within, out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, and he adds this word, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So as we, as we think about this world we live in, you know, you know, whether you believe what Jesus is saying is true or not, he's saying, look at the problem, and there are problems outside that contribute to how we are 
we are wired and the things, that we, how we respond to life, and God has ordained all the things in the world to be a positive influence rather than a negative influence, but the core cause for the evil that's expressed in our world, does it come from, from without or from what? From within. And that's a humbling message, isn't it? That's a humbling message to all. You know, you know, why did I do what I do? I can't say the devil made me do it. I can't say my parents, you know, they messed up and they didn't train me right. They made me do it. Whenever I do something that is against the law of God and, and, and hurts other people, the reason I did is because of what? Because of me. The problem in the world is, comes from within. And so as we look up at this world we're living in, I was really struck by some of the responses of the high schoolers. And, and one of the things that you know, they said over and over and over again is, uh, what kind of world are we living in? And what I want to say to them, <laughs> we're living in a fallen world. And everybody thinks they can fix this fallen world by just making better laws or having a better judicial system, raising the economic level of everyone in our nation, making sure everybody goes to the right school. And those are all good things, and we ought to pursue things that that help people. But part of what we need to understand is fundamentally, we live in a fallen world filled with fallen people. And there's only one hope. There's only one hope. But, but even, even when you understand, okay, the, the, you know, Jesus is, is the answer, we need to say, well, how, how, how does that work out? How should we now then live? Well, this morning we're going we're gonna to look, uh, Lord willing, at, at just five verses, and, and, and it really speaks to it. But I, I want to give a little bit of introduction before we get to, I've already given an introduction, but another introduction before I give the section, okay. It, it really is only about three options. And uh, to put it simply, you know, this, uh, if, if we were in Sesame Street right now, this, this message is given to you by the letter S. I've got just three simple points for you. There's only, oh, there's only a few options how you can live. You know, one, one option is you can live self-righteously. And the other option is you can live selfishly. And then thirdly, you can, you can live spiritually. And, and, and really, those, those are really the only options. Now, we don't always think of them that way or categorize them that way. But, but basically, that's no matter where you are in your journey, this morning in relationship to God. And some of you might be far from him. Some of you might be pursuing him. Some people might be down that path for a long period of time. Uh, but all these issues are issues that we have to wrestle with. Some of it is coming to God, and some is once you come to God, what do you do with it? Well, one way to do it is that you, you can live um, self-righteously. Another way to put that is you're going to pursue God by conforming yourself to a, a list of laws and rules and regulations. And, and by the way, let me, let's just be plain here. The, the writing of laws are endless. Now, we, we know this young man used a handgun to um, kill and wound others and kill himself. But do you, you know how many books there are, how many laws there are on the books in the United States concerning the, the obtaining of laws and the use of laws, uh, use of guns? 20,000. There are 20,000 laws on the books in relationship to getting guns and your use of them. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't improve some of those laws or whatever it might be, but, but laws fundamentally are, are not the complete answer. You can at least say that, and it's not the important answer. 
And so as we look at that is that laws or rules or regulations are not going to make it. Now, to narrow the scope down here a little bit is that as we think about it, if I just, if I just know my list and get that list down, whether it's your top ten, and Jesus, God gave Moses a top ten as well as some other commandments as well, but there was a particular purpose for that, is to point out to us that we desperately need God changes from within because we fall short. I gave the wrong reference in your outline this morning, but in Galatians chapter 2, I put Galatians chapter 1. But in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, Paul writes this to the believers in the surrounding churches in Galatia. I do not nullify the grace of God. Which is an interesting statement. You know, how, could, how could any of us be so powerful to nullify the grace of God? What he means by that, you could pervert the grace of God, think it's going to do something that it's not going to do if you do certain things that you think you ought to do. And he says, I do not nullify the grace of God, which is God's gift, God's favor. For if righteousness, and let's debunk that word. It simply means right living, healthy living, uh, good, good living. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If you can do it on your own, then why did Jesus come? And really, the law, and whatever, a law within yourself or God's law, it shows you you don't measure up. And if we think somehow we can do it on our own, then why did Jesus have to die that horrible death? And why didn't his father answer that prayer? Can you just take this cup from me? He suffered because we desperately needed him to change us. Now, why make a big, such a big deal? Because particularly religious people can fall back into that. In Luke chapter 18, you have the, you have the story. Actually, it was a parable that could have been a true story as well. You had two people. They, they, were, they were coming to approaching God. One was a Pharisee. One was a tax collector. And a tax collector in those days were a synonym for... For, for sinners. And any of you who work with finances, that means you're, you're, you're the worst sinners here. Okay, right. But no, it, it, because they skimmed off the top and the bottom and the middle. They, they took all the money they could, all right? And, and the Pharisee, a very religious man, um, he said, basically said, I thank God I'm, I'm not like all of you out there. That's usually what I pray every day. I just thank God I'm not like all of you out there. No, he says, I, I thank God I'm not like you. He said, because I, I, I fast twice a week and I tithe everything I have. I just give, I just give generously and, and I just live all my life for you. He was just beating his chest how good he was. And then his tax collector came and he couldn't even lift up his eyes to God. Bowed his head and said, Be merciful to me because I'm a sinner. And Jesus makes a simple comment and he says, One man went home justified and righteous, and the other didn't. And it wasn't the Pharisee, it wasn't the, the, the religious person, it was the one who recognized his desperately need. It's again that, that familiar hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? A wretch like me. And so when we somehow think that we're better than other people, that we're living a life that's self-righteous, and we think somehow we've conformed to some external standard that makes us uh, where God is pleased, that, he's got, we, that, we're, that he has us on our team, we've missed it. We're overwhelmed by the God's grace that he would allow us to come into his family. 
So you can live self-righteously. Another way you can live is you can live selfishly. In Galatians 3.3, Paul says this to the, the Galatians. Are you so foolish? He asked a question, but the, the rhetorical answer to that was what? Yes. Are, are you acting foolish before God? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Is it your own efforts? Or to put the other extreme, do you feel just because you have uh, uh, entered into a religious en- environment that, uh, and you think about the goodness and mercy of God, now you can do whatever you want? You think living for self is, is God's plan for you? I just want to make an allusion to James chapter 4. Many of you heard this phrase, you have not because you... Okay, some of you have read that passage. I think it's King James language. Basically, he's talking to people who, who pray or know they ought to pray, but as they examine their own lives, they, they don't see God moving in their life. And so he makes a very simple observation. Well, the reason you don't have, see God moving in your life is because you're not asking God to move in your life. And so often we think a reason that we're not doing well is that we, we live a life not filled with communication with God. We're not filled with prayer. But really that's not the entire point there. He says, you have not because you ask not. But then he goes on and makes this commentary in that passage. He says, because you, when you do ask, you ask to, to only satisfy your own personal pleasures and desires. And, and so we miss the point. We think that... that God has left us here just that we might be, uh, experience all the pleasures of this world, that we can do whatever we want, because if we do mess up, God will still forgive us. I say, you've missed it. I've, I've left you here to live for me and, and to draw people to be rescued from the life that is destructive in a, in a fallen world. So as, so as we go through life, we can, we can go through life thinking somehow it's... it's it's lived out more powerfully by conforming to some external standard that really is there to show us that we can't do it through our own efforts. And it's not to live a life, it's all about me. Eat, drink, and be merry for today we live and tomorrow we die. So you better get it all right now. And it, it makes sense on one level, but it's, it's so foolish. Living for self will never get you the life that God is intending for you to live. So then it really is, well, the other option is you can, you can live spiritually. And here's where we are in Galatians chapter 5 and in the newer section we haven't really got to. In Galatians chapter 5, we'll begin with verse 16, make a couple comments, and then go on from there. So as he's wrestling with people who are not using their freedom to experience all that God has for them, he says this, but I say, and they were devouring one another, and they were, they were, they were consuming one another in relationships, they were... They were turning their freedom and opportunity for their flesh. He says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So he really, what he does there, he summarizes, okay, what is the Christian life all about? It's, 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 it's having God live his life out through you because he's in you. And so if we, we don't want to see in our own lives things that are, that are destructive of people around us and destructive from our, our own experience, we got to recognize I need to do it not by living through my own strength, my own resources. It's got to be a God thing. And maybe you've been around people say, well, you know, that was a God thing. That was a God thing. Well, that's how it ought to define our life. This is a God thing in my life. I want to walk by the Spirit. And, and the promise there, then I won't carry out 
those things that are unexplainable. Why do people say the things they do to people around them? Why, why do the people treat people the, the way they do? Why, why are people holding grudges toward others? Why are relationships fractured and, and, and not healthy? Because what happens among God's people is because they're doing something very simple. They're walking according to their own self, their own flesh, and not the Spirit of God who lives within them. Now, there's a larger picture here in terms of the ministry of the Spirit of in the Holy Spirit in our, in our lives. When we become a child of God, the Spirit of God indwells us. It, he lives within. There's, there's never a point in our life when we truly know Jesus that the Spirit leaves us. That was the experience of, of David in Psalm 51. You know, it, the Spirit had left him in a sense. He said, I want, I want you to renew that Spirit within me. The Spirit is always within us. But we're not always living with the Spirit being in control of us or influencing us. So what he's saying is that we need to recognize we need to depend and rely upon Him. And when we don't, we're not experiencing the life that God has intended us to live. But I say walk by the Spirit. And, and interesting thing about that, this, this, uh, this word for walk is in a, what's called the imperative form in the original language. This is a command. This is not an option. Well, today, I just want to live for myself. Today, I just want to do my own thing. Today, it's, it is all about me. You know, so I want you to continually, habitually, day in and day out, depend upon him and not yourself. And, and, and the whole image of walking, you can find walking so many different ways. How many had those? Is it a Fitbit? Is that what it is? Is that what they call it? I don't put those on because I don't want to know how many steps I took today, all right? So, you know, it's, it, you realize how many steps did I take today? And you could look at it as an analogy, how much exercise did I get? Do I need to walk more? But if you look at that Fitbit, you could say, well, how many of those steps did I take walking with Jesus today? How many of those did I depend upon him? And how many did I just kind of ignore him? Uh, you know, when you think about walking, it, every time you walk, you go from wherever you are now and in, in, at least hopefully, to the place where your intended destination is, right? He said, walk by the Spirit. Always re- recognize that the, the approach to your life is, I, I want to be where God wants me to be. And when I get there, I want to be how God wants me to be. I, I want to do what He wants me to do, and I want to do it in the way He wants me to do it. I want to live life that pleases Him in attitude and action. And I want to do it by His strength and not my own. I, I want to live a life that's filled as we'll look at the fruit of the Spirit again. We've memorized that. But I want, I want to experience a, a life in which people see the joy of God in my life. I, I want people to see that I have a peace that passes understanding. I, I, I want people to recognize that there is a gentleness and a kindness about me. And, and that's my destination. But I can't, I can't do that on my own. And I want to depend upon him. I want him to be that partner who lives within me. And so when you think about the simplicity of this message given to you by the letter S of Sesame Street is that we all have our options. We can live self-righteously. Anybody, anybody want to spend much time with a self-righteous person? You know, the holier-than-thou person always thinks they're better than you. That, or, or there's the other people, you know, who, who, who just kind of they do whatever they want. They feel like they're, they're a free spirit, and, and you can tell it's, it's all about them. Or the people who are living by the Spirit and and they're other-centered because they're Christ-centered. And they're more concerned about you than they are about themselves. And that's a radical step because most of the time I live a life, I'm more concerned about me rather than other people. 
But he said, no, I want you to live by the Spirit. And, and this, is, this is a fragrance that, that people can see. There's something different about that person that's attractive because they have a life that's, that cannot be explained in human terms. And so Paul, as he, as he talks about that, and if you were to stop at verse 16, but after verse 16 comes verse what? Because it sounds so simple. Okay, I'll just let go and let God. I've tried that. That doesn't always work, all right? Why? Because even though we've got the greatest hope, this is, th- th- we, have, we have victory in Jesus. But the, the, come now, found a very blessing. Every, and that's old school music, and I'll probably have to look it up. But, you know, here's the latter part of that. Come now, found a very blessing. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's often where we're at, right? Yeah, this is, this is the place I want to be, but then all of a sudden I, I, I kind of start drifting. Anybody, anybody drift out there spiritually? And so the idea here in the next verse, few verses, what he's saying here, I want you to understand there's a command. We are to walk by the Spirit, but there's a conflict out there. It's a battle. And this is how he expresses in Galatians chapter 5. Verse 17 says this, For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. So there's a war going on. In fact, some actually, you can transliterate this, for the flesh wars against the Spirit. There's a pushback. And so we need to realize there's a battle going on. And the Spirit against the flesh. And the Spirit saying, well, no, I'm, I'm not going to just be defeated here. I'm going to push back. And, and we're caught, and sometimes we feel like in the middle. For they are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. And you'll be looking this, past, this next week on that passage in Romans 7 where Paul said, look, I'm, I'm struggling here. I, I know what I ought to do, but I'm not doing it. I know the things I shouldn't do, and I, and I keep doing it. What, what's the hope here? And he had had a pattern in his life in which he had been fairly successful in, in, in his own personal self-discipline. And some of us are wired in certain ways that there is a, a degree of self-discipline. But he said, look at it. Even as self-discipline as I, as I have as a habit, all it does is bring me back to the part my heart is deficient to accomplish it on its own. He goes on in, in verse 15, and he says this, for, verse 18, for if, you're not, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Says, so, so don't go back to trying to, to live it externally. It still has to be internally. But tap in. Tap into the, the strength that lives within you. And this is the ongoing challenge for us as, as we... As, Paul says in Philippians, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is not an easy battle we're in. But God is at work you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the times I don't want, anybody be honest, say, there's times I don't want to do what God wants me to do. You're, you're there at that point. Well, then God, you need to help me have the want to. Help me have the want to. Give me that will to do it. And then the other part said, well, okay, I want to, but I'm not able to. God, give me the ability now to do it. That's a promise. He, God is involved in our lives for those who have embraced Jesus both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It gives the want to and the how to, the ability to. But it's a battle. And so that's why we, we need to completely be surrendered to the Spirit, but do, do those things around that, that, that feed it. You can either feed the Spirit that's in your life 
or you can feed that which is the flesh in your life. And what is the flesh? I haven't really defined that. The, the flesh, there's all kinds of ways people define that, and people who comment on, on the scriptures. Some will say we have a redeemed spirit, but an unredeemed body. Okay? The, 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 the flesh is that part. And the flesh is used in a variety of different ways in scripture, but the flesh he's talking about here. The, the flesh he's talking about here is that part of us that's tied to the habits of the old life. That pat, those patterns that, that creep up in us again. And some of that is from our experiences, and some of that is, is from the, that part of us that, that will be totally changed when we see Jesus face to face. For, for those of you who just, who just, I irritate, you know, just be patient. When I get to heaven, I'll be so much better, all right? You know, and, and that's what he's saying here. Okay, there is that part of you that, that, that draws you back, but the spirit is so much more powerful than the flesh. But what we do is we have a tendency to, to fall back into the patterns of the old life. I, I share with you this. That to me, it was so striking from, from my own perspective on this. I, I, I've told some, many of you that I, you know, I used to work for, for a library. This is back in the old days when people went to books. They didn't go on Google. All right, Remember those things, you know, those places? They still have a few of them left, you know, a few libraries. Okay, so I, w- I was very high up in the food chain. You know, I was there, and I was supposed to realphabetize the books of the Bible, the Dewey Decimal System or whatever that was. So when they, the books were turned in, I was supposed to put them back on the shelf. Plus, they also had magazines. Uh, and again, magazines. And if you wanted a certain month or year for a magazine, to me, it was always the Sports Illustrated. But, but, you know, some people wanted time or whatever it might be. Well, they had this clicker, okay? And whenever the head librarian hit this clicker, if I was working, I was supposed to run from wherever I was to go to the to the desk and go find this person's magazine. Well, um, after, I basically worked there for a summer, and after the summer was over, I, you know, I went back to school and wasn't working there, but I, I went back in to read the sports magazines again, so I would, I'd be there, I'd be sitting in the, you know, the, the library, l- looking at a magazine, and I'd hear this clicker go off. And you know what I'd do? I'd get out of that chair and run to the desk, okay, because it was, that, it was, my, it was my, the pattern of my old life when I used to work there. And, and how did I overcome it? I said, no, I... The, I don't have to do what that clicker says anymore. And see, that, that's how it is with our flesh. There is, there is that natural response. Well, that's what I like, and that's what I want to lean to, into. That's what I want to participate with. And then we realize, I don't have to do that anymore. There is that pattern. There is that habit. There is that part of me that, that will always be provoked by that 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 signal that someone has given me, but I can say no because the power of the Spirit, I no longer are under that slavery to the old life. And, and so this is what he's pleading with them who, who have struggled in so many different ways. Look at, you don't have to live self-righteously. You don't have to live selfishly. You can live spiritually. You know, it's interesting. I, I'm sure all of you were reading the, the Wall Street Journal this week. Were you all reading the Wall Street Journal? But they... Um, you know, I'm not that smart. I have a neighbor who gives it to me free. So uh, anyway, but here, here's one of the headlines this week. Can religion still speak to younger Americans? All right. And if you've read what's happening culturally, you know, 44% of 18 to 29-year-olds declare they have no religious affiliation. Now, what they're really saying doesn't mean they never go to church, but if, if they were really asking me, are, are you really into this Christianity thing? And they might say, well, I, you know, I go for my parents' sake or go for other reasons, but really it doesn't do anything for me. But some of you ask, well, do, do you believe in 
being spiritual. Oh, yeah, I believe in spirituality, but I just don't be, believe in religion. And, and what breaks our heart is realize that somehow as they've come to church, they, they didn't quite get it. But they're in good company because uh, how many times we've come to church and didn't get it? And it could be the failures of the people like me up here in front or how, how things have happened within the church. But, but see, it's, it's, the, the church is the perfect place for what kind of people? Imperfect people. We're all on this journey, and, and really, where else would we go to find what life's really all about? Where else would we go to find out, hey, we live in a broken world. Well, how can this broken world be fixed? The only place it can be fixed is, is people being fixed. Because it's not going to be by passing new laws or getting new judges or getting new, a new person in the White House or in the Congress and the Senate. I mean, we, we ought to pursue that, have the best people wherever they're serving, but it's, it's got to be br- fixing that which is broken. And realize, who really wouldn't want that which God has promised? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what he wants to give us, but it's not going to happen by the flesh, the patterns of the old life. It happens only through the Spirit. And so Paul goes on. This is where I was going to spend more time in, but he says, okay, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So take step by step in your life, following the Spirit of God who lives within you. Be filled with Him, which means be under His, in control, his control or under His influence. That's what Ephesians 5 is all about. Don't get drunk with wine or some kind of outside source, but be filled under, under the control of the Spirit. And, and when someone's controlled by an outside substance, whether it's drugs or alcohol, their behavior changes, doesn't it? It's just automatic. It just changes. It's, well, do it by the Spirit of God. But you're going to have to make that choice, and you have to feed that. And then he gives a list. You know, we, we have the list of the fruit of the Spirit, and we'll, we'll look at those and, and maybe define those a little bit more in the future. But, but he gives 15 specific types of sin. And, and some people, again, they say, well, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm just not into this organized religion stuff or the church stuff or what the Bible has to say. In fact, that's part of the controversy now. Now we see it culturally, obviously, is that people, they're redefining sin, right? In every shape and form. It's just, it's just, uh, you know, I saw a headline even this morning, you know, binary is no longer an issue in our culture. It's, it's not Male or female, he or she, it's they. And we talked about that. It's the, it does, whatever you want to choose to pick. Now, we're not here to curse the darkness, but, but the reality is, if, if you look at sin, is this really the kind of world we want to live in? So in case, you, in case you're getting kind of bored with the sins you're doing now, I'm going, to, I'm going to read Paul's list here. Maybe some of you haven't participated in this yet, okay? He goes, now the deeds of flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. That's the 15. And then he, then he said, well, you know, I might, I might not have elicited a sin that some people is involved in. And so he said, oh, and, and, and things like these. So if somehow you can see yourself in this 15, which I, I, I find ultrally impossible because I found myself in these. He said, in case somehow none of these triggered you, and anything like these things. Now, is this the kind of world we want to live in? You know, some say, well, you know, we're, 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 the picture right now is that Christians are, 
are over-sexualized sensitive, you know, that, that, you know, we, you know, just get over your hang-ups, okay? Well, that's a whole other debate, but if you look at all these other things, it, it, the Bible says this is what we want to set people free from. Not only the penalty of the sin, but the power of the sin, that you don't have to live this way, but you're not going to get fixed by new laws and new people in positions of power. It's it's not by being re-educated. It's going to have to be from within because that's the problem. It's going to be the Spirit of God. But, you know, the word for immorality here, and I'm not going to, I had a whole list of defined, but, you know, immorality comes to the word pornea, okay? And uh, pornea from which we get the word pornography, okay? And for, for the, the, the issue in many people today is, well, what's so wrong with pornography, Okay? Uh, you know, it's a victimless crime. You're just looking at pictures, okay? Um, and, and there has been a, a real change culturally as far as how people look at that. Just sharing some of the most recent statistics. Um, but first of all, the abuse of how much people are involved in it. You know that... Um, 28,258 users are watching pornography every second. That's how pervasive it is. $3,075.64 is spent on porn every second on the Internet. So it's not even cheap. But this, this is what struck me. Again, what, what, what's the, you know, people are just looking at pictures. 88% of scenes in porn films contain acts of physical aggression. So it's not just being entertained. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a message there that is destructive. In our culture now, just 55% of adults 25 and older believe porn is wrong. So 45% say it's no big deal. But what's interesting, a bigger statistic is this. 90% of teens and 96% of young adults are either encouraging, accepting, or neutral when they talk about porn with their friends. So even if they're within the 45% that say, well, it's, it's, you know, it's probably not the best thing for people to be involved in, if they're talking with people, they never communicate that. Because no, no, no one wants to, to, to draw a line and say, this is, this, is, this is wrong. This is unhealthy. This is destructive. Now, anyone who struggles in any of those areas, we're not here to bury them and say, but there's hope. Because the Bible says that if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And I'm not going to say it's been easy because there's a conflict because there's a war gone between the flesh and the spirit. And, and the church is not only to present truth, but to say, this is a hospital to say, how can we get better? And how can we come alongside each other and, and, and help each other go from where they are to where they, they can be with their human effort, but empowered by the spirit and anyone can change. And immorality, it, it expresses itself in so many different ways. It's... It, it's you know, we want to fix that on homosexuality, but it's, it's adultery. It's fornication and sex before marriage and, and bestiality and everything else you want to put in the alphabet, LGBTQ. I mean, there's things that that's just are out there. And it, it, we're not arbitrarily saying, saying some things are right and some things are wrong. Say that all sin is destructive. And, and, and if, if we're just sharing human opinions, then we can all debate that. We can say, well, I'm, I'm coming from a biased position. The Bible knows what's right and what's wrong. You don't have to agree with it, but just, but just look at the, what it's doing in people's lives. 
So he, he says, look at, this is, not, this is not where you want to go, but there's hope. There's hope. Just, just to find, oh my, just to find a few other things. Okay, it's interesting. Sorcery comes from the word pharmaceutical. It's the idea of drugs, okay? But it wasn't even, and I, and I think in your outline, it puts it, you know, there's all kinds of sins. You want to put them in categories. Some feel that's helpful. Some people it's not. But, but, as you, but as you look at it, um, I think in your outline, I, I, I put it this way. You know, what, what kinds of sins are there where there are, there, are, there are sexual sins, and there's all kinds of things out there where we can describe that. But uh, then, and there's also, those are things where people are con- controlled by their senses. It's the idea, if, if I feel a need for that, what's wrong with it as long as it, it pleases me? And uh, the, the, the interesting thing with um, the word sensuality, it, it comes from a word that means restraint, but not. You know, the, the word for a person who believes in God is theist. If you don't believe in God, you're called a what? Atheist. Well, this is what this is. The word is, sensual, uh, the, the um, sensuality is, is restraint, but no restraint. This is the kind of person, if you're around them, you're saying, that person is out of what? Control. And you say, is that, is that really living a life where you're living life to its fullest? No, you're out of control. And it can be in the sexual area. But it can also be in the religious area. And it's part of the problem then and now can be religious people. But if you have the wrong faith and you're not living out your faith, um, you're part of the problem, not part of the solution. And that's why he says idolatry. We think of only idolatry as, you know, putting on, putting on a figurine of some, you know, supreme being and you, you know, bowing down to worship. But it could be anything that you worship. Put value on more than it needs to be and, and should be. Sorcery, if you're not familiar, I mean, witchcraft the Wicca movement, uh, pursuing s- spiritual dimensions uh, um, amongst the demonic or satanic is, is increasing in major ways. It, it's not that young people or even older people have no spiritual sense. They're just going down the wrong path. And Paul said, look it, it's the spirit who can set you free. In whatever category you see yourself in here, it's, it, it, it's we all need to be set free. Relational sin, enmities, which basically has the idea of hateful attitudes, strife, bitter conflicts, jealousy, form of hateful resentment, outbursts of anger. You know, a person with a pretty short fuse. Disputes, dissension, factions, envying. All of us could see that. And we all need to be set free. It's a process. There's a conflict. But it's only, it's only found victory when the Spirit leads us. Personal sin, drunkenness and carousing. You know, crowding in, in some ways, it has a kind of a positive spin on to many people. Man, they're just out there having a good time. Let's get a little rowdy. Uh, but it's destructive rowdiness. So, so what is Paul saying here? Like, there is hope, but you've got you to make a choice. You can live self-righteously, thinking you're better than somebody else. You can, look, you can live selfishly, living just for whatever pleases you. Or you can live spiritually, and it's simply saying, I depend upon the Spirit to lead you and guide you through His Word, through God's people. And when that happens, you have hope. You are not tied to your birth order. You're not tied to your, you know, your personality type. You're not tied to all the things that people have done to you that have abused you and hurt you. You can be set free because God's Spirit is, 
is stronger, more powerful than anything you've gone through. And in the midst of all, you need to realize there's forgiveness. There is forgiveness. And you can, you can be seen like Jesus saw the, the chief of sinners. And when he came before holy God and said, be merciful to me, he went away righteous and justified. So what's the point this morning? Which option are you taking? It's not just today, but which option do you want to keep on taking? Where do you want to walk? Not just on a, you know, a day a week or two days a week, but it's how do I want to always walk? I'll I'll trip and fall and I'll stumble, but when I stumble, I'm going to get up and pursue the Spirit who lives within us if we know Him. Let's be a people that take the option of, I want to live the spiritual life where the Holy Spirit leads and governs who I am, what I do, and how I do it. Let's pray together. Father, I pray in the midst of what we talked about that that you struck a chord in each one of us. We all have choices to make. Do, Do we really believe that God knows best? That he's the one who can really set us free. That he's the one who can bring us out to that point where, where we live the life to its fullest. Uh, w- with a direction that you are governing. And that we, we can be a source of rescuing others in this world that are filled with darkness on the inside. We don't have to be surprised at what, what is happening in this world because we live in a fallen world. But you have called us to be overcomers by the Spirit who lives within us. But I pray for anyone here this morning that is really on the outside in. Might they realize that Jesus offers, offers new life. If we'll admit our need and turn from our sin, believe that Jesus Christ fully paid for our sins and rose again on the cross, from the cross, from the grave. And then we make a choice to commit to follow Jesus and believe in Jesus as our Lord, our God, and our Savior. And Father, for those of us who have made that commitment, we fully and faithfully give you all of our heart to live each day for you. And we praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.